I'm Dr. Megan Corredo, and welcome to Real Stories, a podcast that features the narratives of trauma survivors, professionals, and community leaders. Real Stories provides a platform for guests with diverse life experiences to voice and honor their unique narratives. During today's episode, we will be speaking with Crystal Wyatt. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. How are you? I am all right, hanging in there in the midst of all the chaos, but I'm hanging in there. Might be by thread, but I'm hanging. As long as you got (laughs) two hands, two hands, you'll be good. (laughs) Can you tell us about who you are? Absolutely. So I am the former owner of a prison transportation service called Ride and Rebuild. Uh, I started that service about seven years ago, and then I shut it down last year due to burnout and compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, while I had my transportation service, I also um, wrote a grant so that I could support women who support an incarcerated loved one, honoring their resilience. And that program was called Real Resilience. It was a trauma-informed program for um Again, women who support incarcerated loved ones. And then out of that, I um, part of the grant was to do a podcast where the women would share their stories. And so mm-hmm. I host a podcast called Real Resilience Prison Wife Life. And it's on every medium that you can think of, Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, you name it, it's on there. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, iTunes. And now I'm currently the author of uh, my memoir entitled Road Trippin', Riding and Rebuilding Through Resilience. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Labor of trauma love. Mm. (laughs) So can you give us a little bit of a preview? Uh, What is your book about? What are you highlighting? Yeah. So what I'm highlighting is basically how the criminal justice system has impacted my life um, since I was a little girl and um, realizing what adverse childhood experiences looks like, right? And so we have these terms of, you know, adverse childhood experiences, and it's always in this world of psychology and trauma. But when you actually see a story Mm -hmm. with a theme running through it, you understand how these adverse childhood experiences um, can impact your life, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because poor health behaviors lead to poor health outcomes. And so all of this is in this book. And so um, it's my testimony, you know, it's, it's my I had to write it so that I could heal. Again, I had to shut my business down so that I could get my mind right. And I had started writing the book though the last year of my business. And um, but I knew the theme running through it was how the criminal justice system impacted my life. And so mm. their story, the story is, you know, about that. Mm. So can you tell us about what you do? So currently what I'm doing is, of course, hosting my podcast because these women that I met on um, my van service, you know, (laughs) where the women who support incarcerated loved ones are not who you think they are. So they are grandmothers, mothers, sisters, nieces, daughters, aunts and girlfriends and homegirls. Right. And so when I started my van service, I thought that. I was going to be taking families up. So fathers and mothers and sons and all of that or homeboys. And I realized 98% of my riders were women. And so when I when, when when I started to see that, I was like, oh my goodness. And then not only seeing that there they were only women riding, but the health issues that these women had, the financial issues that these women had, the mm-hmm. um 
you know, psychological issues, just the burden of, of incarceration. So I always say, you know, behind every incarcerated person stands a woman and she's paying for commissary. She's visiting, she's paying for lawyers, she's doing all of this work funding the back end of the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. And so what I try to do is give honor them, right? Because they're resilient, you know? And so my whole platform is called Real Resilience because it was in that moment of running my business that I was like, these women, these are the real resilient people here, the ones, Mm. these women who are supporting these incarcerated loved ones. So through my podcast, I give them an opportunity to, um, share who they are because, you know, folks see crime in the city or they see crime um, just on the news and they see incarceration rates and they see all these things, but they don't realize that it's women who are bearing this burden, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I had to, I had to step in and and do something. And also that these women aren't what you, who you think they are. There is some of them there, you know, people think that they're impoverished and no, these are women, working class women who, happened to love someone who got inca- who got incarcerated right? right and so we can't negate the fact that in our communities there's poverty there's hopelessness there's crime there's all these things and you're trying to love in the midst of all of that mm. right and so and i mean you could love it could be your son that you're you're loving and trying to still go to work every day take care of your bills and pay your taxes and do all this you know adult work but on the back end of that, you you have this trauma in your life and mm-hmm. you can't really talk about it to anybody because it's a stigma, right? you know, right? So it's like this stigma that, oh, oh, you know, someone that's locked up. But I'm like, Philadelphia, mm-hmm. Philadelphia is like half incarceration, like half the, it's the non-incarcerated and the incarcerated, you know, operating in this space. And because if you think about it, we have 46, about 46,000 people that are on parole. You wow. have about 40. Yes, you have about 40, about 40, 43,000, I think it is, that are in state prisons. Um, 28% are from Philadelphia. Mm. So that means like one in every what? Well, I can, let me not do the math in my head. I'm not I'm, good with I'm, math, so I can't. Yeah, I'm not you. good with mental math, but that's like, <laughs> what is that? 28 is like a third, the fourth, almost a quarter of your, so one in four people have dealt with someone who's incarcerated or someone's incarcerated that they know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it's just interesting that we move around this town as if this, the impact of prisons doesn't impact all of us. Right. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, And then also I I think, and we could get into a whole conversation about this alone, but I think, (laughs) um, Part of it is also um, because where people are incarcerated are kind of in these like out of the way hidden areas, especially in Pennsylvania. So Mm -hmm. we we have the luxury of being able to pretend as though all of these people don't exist because um, this this phenomenon is not right in our faces. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, Megan. And it's and it's only because we, you know, women who travel out uh, upstate to visit these prisons realize what's happening. And so when, so I have a different experience because I was the prison transportation provider, right? Mm. So I would go to these upstate towns in upstate PA. Uh, One town in particular that I really enjoyed was Huntington, PA. And Huntington has two prisons. It has Smithville Correctional 
Smithville State Correctional Institution and Huntington State Correctional Institution. Huntington is one of the oldest prisons um, in, the, in the state. But when I would go there, my, my ladies would go in on, on the visit and then I would go explore the town. Mm-hmm. And so I would meet up with people in the coffee shop and, you know, I had my favorite breakfast place, but I would be the only black woman, black person, black woman in these spaces. And so I would talk, right? And I, people would ask me why I was there. And I'm like, because I have a prison transportation service. And there, you know, the conversation was always, oh, wow. Yeah, these, these people in Philadelphia, they get, keep getting locked up. And I'm like, well, you mm-hmm. happen, you, you don't realize that we had a pande- uh, pandemic, we had an epidemic that came through our town in 19, in the 80s, the late 80s, early 90s called crack. And with that, it decimated our communities, which then allowed for your town to have a prison so that your families can have employment so mm-hmm. that your families can eat you mm-hmm. know and so when you are when i'm in these towns or what used to be in these towns i would see the larger picture of the prison system mm-hmm. right and the politics of it all and it was just mind blowing to me to see how our um how Philadelphia funds funds Philadelphia's men and women feed the prison system of the state. Mm. So we are the we are the um, we're the I don't want to say we're the but like we're the economy of small towns in Philadelphia. I mean small towns in Pennsylvania because we get arrested, we go to jail, they place us upstate. And these people can hire correctional officers. They can hire people to keep the grounds. They can hire people to do, you know, their courts or whatever they need. Mm-hmm. But it's it, it all works together and it's really scary. Mm. So we know that every individual, every community, every system has a story. And every story includes both adversity and strength. Can you talk to us about some of the adversities that you faced? Mm. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> So I've faced adversity in, in quite a few areas. Um, one of the things, and I'll just share that here because, you know, I just like to drop bombs on people, um, is that I've worked at every higher ed institution in Pennsylvania. I mean, Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia. So I've worked at Temple, Penn, Drexel University, and I also worked for Children's Hospital. And I do not have a degree. Mm. And every time... I tell people that they are shocked, like, oh, my God, you don't have a degree. You're in the same space as me. You're in the same place as me. And, you know, you've ran, you had your own business. You wrote a grant. You did Mm -hmm. this. And, you know, and the adversity was, well, it's in my book. So when, you you know, folks read the book, they'll see how that happened. Okay. But because I didn't have a degree, um, it never bothered bothered me per se, but it bothered people around me. So I had to, you know, stand in, stand firm in who I was, right? Mm-hmm. I had to be resilient in my own knowledge base to let folks know, I know what I'm talking about. I, I'm, I learned on the job, you know? Mm-hmm. And so because I'm able to learn on the job, it, it tricks people's mind up because, minds up because they're like, hmm, how did you learn research? How did you learn how to uh, write grants. How'd you learn to analyze data? How'd you learn how to um, 
do qualitative and quantitative data, like data analysis. Like, how do you know all of this? How do you know ethnography? Mm -hmm. And it's because I learned on the job, (laughs) you know, I treated it as such, but the the reason and how I got there is, um, it's really an interesting story, but I I don't want to give up too much. Yeah, no, we, we gotta let people (laughs) check your book out. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, but that was the biggest adversity, um, in, in, Outside of prison life, but that was the biggest one. Mm. So um, I'm sensing a theme. So um, so you mentioned earlier that um, in interacting with people who um, who are in these different prison towns, like you Mm -hmm. were kind of shattering their assumptions in a way. Um, What they what they assumed about um, prisoners and the prison Mm -hmm. system. And then you're also uh, featuring the stories of different women who have traveled all these different. um, Mm -hmm. Let me. I'm about to edit this part. Okay. You've also featured um, the stories of all these different women visiting loved ones in jails, shattering people's assumptions about what it looks like to love someone in prison. And then in this part of your story, it sounds like you're also highlighting um, uh, the fact that maybe uh, intelligence and ambition doesn't necessarily have to live and breathe completely in academia. And shattering Tell it, Megan. Assumptions in that area too. So I, that's I like what I this. do. I shatter assumptions. That's okay. What I <laughs> but yes, that's exactly. I mean, yeah. Thank you for putting it together like that. But it is, you know, my whole thing is about my. I realize my life purpose is about reducing stigma, right? Because we have these stigmas on everything around us and you can't be this without being that. And you need to do this in order to do that. And it's just not true. You have to have passion. You have to have empathy. You have to have compassion and you just have to want to do it. One of the, one of the tricks that I didn't realize, it just, it, it, it became organic for me, right? Um, volunteerism is has always been my end. And the reason why I volunteer so much is because I was always interested in what I was doing, right? Mm-hmm. I was interested in trauma. I was interested in violence prevention. I was interested in arts-based community. I, I was interested in these things and I just wanted to volunteer. And those volunteer opportunities opened up doors for me that would not have normally been open to me. Mm. Can you share a few important positive moments or turning points in your story? Um, yeah. So I think the most important positive moment was last year when I decided to shut my business down. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. I saved my life. Mm. A lot of times we start a project and we want and it kills us and we and we 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 would rather die with that project than say I can't do it anymore. I need to stop. I need to save my life. And I had to I mean I struggled with it for a whole year. I thought about the women I would be letting down. I thought about, you know, um my legacy. You know, I thought about I got a mural from the Philadelphia Mural Arts because of my work with the prison, mm. um, the, the women who ride. So I thought about that. I thought about all these things. And then I said, but you're tired. Mm-hmm. You're exhausted. You can't even be nice anymore. Mm. <laughs> so I um, I shut it down and I saved myself. And one of the things that I, I, I feel like people need to, women in particular, need to know is that it's okay to rest. From June to July, I sat on my porch 
and relaxed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Then I said, okay, let me finish. Let me just try to figure out what I'm going to do. Let me see if I can find me another job because I have to pay my bills. Right. Mm -hmm. So I found a job. And it's, you know, it's back at Penn and I'm not going to elaborate on that, but I'm working full time and I started in December and where I work at is in pretty much the hospital area. And so mind you, I'm still tired, Megan. I'm still exhausted because I ran a business for seven years up and down the highway, 30 hours every weekend. I clocked over 300,000 miles, 11,000 hours on the road. Yes. Yes. I was inside. I, I, we we traveled to 13 of the 26 prisons in this in this state. So I was exhausted and I'm hearing trauma stories back to back. Right. Emotional toll. Woo. So I'm on the road. I'm hearing trauma stories because one of the other things that's, that I realized about the women who were riding with me, although they may be supporting someone that's incarcerated, they're still facing community violence. Right. I had women who had to ride on my, my van to go tell the father of their children that their child was murdered. So, and I have to be a resource. I had a woman who called me because her husband died in the hospital and I was the first person she called. So all this trauma. And I was like, I can't take none of this anymore. And so I, um, I, um, so December, when December happened, or I got the job in December, I was still tired. Mind you, I hadn't worked full time in three years. And so I was just like, hmm. How am I going to get to work every day? I'm usually taking a nap around mm-hmm. <laughs> 12 to 3. I'm usually sleep, you know. And then um, COVID happened. And we had to come back home. And for the first eight weeks of COVID, although I, you know, I had conference calls, working from home and all that other stuff, I still slept. I got the rest that I needed to get. You know, and so that's that's my that's the strength in my story. You know, I like your words just kind of like spoke to my soul. <laughs> and I feel like nobody has given me permission to rest. to rest. Yes. And that's one of my that's one of my like taglines. Resilience requires rest. You can't be resilient without taking time out for yourself. You need to heal. There's no way you can heal. Like, you know, we want to do this trauma work. And a lot of us who are in this trauma, trauma, you know, movement, we, we forget that sleep is required. You know, <laughs> you got to you got to take it down because you can't recharge. And so I was going, 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 going. And I was just like, I'm sleepy. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And it's a sickness when you're tired and you can't think, you right. know, it's, it's un, it's an unhealthy feeling. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. I allowed myself to rest. Mm. Um, what would you say to women who, who feel guilty, um, about allowing themselves to rest? I say, cut yourself some slack, mm. cut yourself some slack because when I shut my band service down, women found another ride. I would have died though, right? But they would have still found another ride. And so my point is what you think can't happen without you can happen without you. So Mm. get some rest. Mm. Mm. Cut yourself some slack and get some rest. 
So I am glad that this is on recording so that I can re-listen to this. Um, <laughs> and I can Good. think about how to absorb and integrate what you're saying. And I'm sure there are plenty of listeners who uh, will be doing the same. Absolutely. Please. I, I give you permission to rest. I think that's the other thing. A lot of other women do not allow. We don't give each other permission. I want you to rest, Megan. I see how hard you work. I want you to rest. Take some time for yourself, whether it's and I listen, I go I do beach days by myself. I do beach days with friends. I go get um, massages by myself. I do float therapy. Have you heard of the float therapy? No, what's float therapy. Oh my God. So float therapy, there's one, um, I don't even want to give a plug, but I don't care. Second and Gerard, it's called <laughs> Halcyon Floats, H-A-L-C-Y-O-N Floats. Um, so you go to a float tank and you float in about a um, a foot of water with um, about a pound of Epsom salt. And it's really good for your muscles and your, your blood. And um, MMA fighters go there too, just to get their body back in condition. But the floating, um, it just detoxifies your body and rejuvenates your life. So I would go float. I would do the chiro. I can never say this word, cryosana. Uh-huh. I go there because I had a lot of inflammation in my body from driving all those mm. hours. So I had to be resourceful. Um, I had a monthly subscription to um, Hand and Stone so I can get my monthly massages. You got to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You got to put yourself first. You, you just, you know, and at the end of the day, none of that mattered at the end because I was exhausted. But that's when I realized I needed to sleep mm. Mm. <laughs> and not have to be somewhere, you know. And so mm-hmm. one of the things about, you know, I took advantage of this this lockdown. I took advantage of um, virtual, the virtual world, because I wanted to be home. Mm. I wanted to just be home and be in my bed and breathing and just letting the world rest around me. So mm. Mm. that's what I offer. Where do you see yourself in the future? Um, can I, if I could be completely honest, either the van life, living in a van on the road or a tiny house by a lake somewhere. Oh yeah. Yep. Hmm. I just need, I need peace. I, you know, when, when you read the book, you'll see how much of my life was shaped by trauma that I'm in a place now where I need to just focus on rest and, mm. and, and light work. You know, um, I give what I can, where I can, you know, I'm thinking of uh, turning my program for women virtual so that I can serve more women, but also, you know, do it, do it smart, do it wise. You know, I don't think everything requires you dying, you mm-hmm. know, for it to be empathetic. I don't think you need to die for it for the cause. Where do we get this message from societally that we have to drive ourselves into the ground in order to uh, in order to uh, be a support to people who've gone through trauma? Yeah, I think part of is part of it. It may not all be society. Right. I think empaths. It's just how we're wired. Mm. So we can't even turn it off if we want to. Right. So we have to do these safeguards like I don't watch the news because I'll cry for everything I see on there, you know. So and then I know my lane. I don't try to save the world. I just try to help women who support incarcerated loved ones. At first, I thought I could help the men. That's not my lane. My lane is the women. So you have to figure out what your lane is and stick to that to serve the world. Right. Mm-hmm. I, my, my, my lane is in climate change, so I'm not doing all of that. But mm-hmm. women, I'm, I'm with that, you know. And so 
as an empath, I know, don't go too far, Crystal, because this is, this is not for you. You're supposed to sit, <laughs> sit down and get some rest. Right. <laughs> you know, and then society, because I think the role society plays in it is that you don't see the change happening fast enough. And you know, with your compassion and your spirit and your drive, you could fix it, but you can't mm-hmm. you can do your part. You can't do it all, you know? And so- right. I think that's that's what it's really about. It's right. just that we, as empaths, you know, and people who want to, you know, heal, we 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 see the hurt and we want to we want to mend it, and that's just in us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are there any favorite or life changing resources that you want to share with listeners? Absolutely, one in particular, and it's free. Yeah, Kelly Drive mm-hmm. in downtown Philadelphia. I mean, yeah. Kelly Drive has saved my soul self, Mm. right? So I have gone there in times of uh, clarity. When I need clarity, I go to Kelly Drive and sit by the water and I allow the sounds, right? So I'm a driver. So the sounds of traffic behind me, the greenery, the water, I'm a Scorpio too. So the water feeds my soul. And I just, and the people and the runners and the bikes and the children, and it just, it just, it allows me to remember that I'm part of something, right? Mm -hmm. And not just my stress or my anxiety or depression. I'm a part of something bigger that has been created and Kelly Drive does that for me. And so I would, I would offer anyone to who is listening, who needs to, who likes outdoors to find a space and claim it, mm-hmm. <laughs> claim mm-hmm. it. Even if it's other people there, claim it as your own, you know, and go there to renew your spirit and your mind and your body. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and Kelly Drive offers all of that. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you want to share with our audience? I just think people need to just remember that they are resilient, right? So if you find yourself facing some adversity, think about the time you got out of something mm-hmm. and how you felt when you got out of it. That's mm-hmm. your resilience. That's your story. You know, rely on that because that's going to save you. That's going to serve you. And it's going to serve other people. So mm. you remember just- that you're resilient. Mm. You have so many words of wisdom. Thank you so much for sharing a piece of your story. I cannot wait to read your book and be inspired by your experiences. So thank you so much. Yes. And um, do you want me to tell people where they can get the book? Absolutely. So I would prefer that people get the book from me, from my website, because... I'm a Black-owned business. Okay. <laughs> we want to support Black-owned businesses. So my website is realresiliencepwl.com. So that's realresiliencepwl.com. And the PWL stands for Prison Wife Life, if you need to remember that. Thank you. And we all look forward to uh, learning more from your wisdom and reading your book. Thank you so much, Megan. I'm Thank so you. grateful and thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Real Stories. The resources referenced by today's guest speaker will be included in the episode description. For more information about me, Dr. Megan Corredo, and my work with the story's trauma narrative intervention, please visit my website, www.storiesguide.com. Also, feel free to follow my story social media pages on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Remember that for every story of trauma and adversity, there is always a story of strength and resilience.